Section 14 of Volume 1F of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Dennison. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1 F, Section 14, Chapter 65, Part 5. Though the fear of giving umbrage to his confederate had engaged Charles to treat the Dutch ambassadors with such rigor, he was not altogether without uneasiness on account of the rapid and unexpected progress of the French arms. Were Holland entirely conquered, its whole commerce and naval force, he perceived must become an accession to France. The Spanish Low Countries must soon follow, and Lewis, now independent of his ally, would no longer think it his interest to support him against his discontented subjects. Charles, though he never carried his attention to very distant consequences, could not but foresee these obvious events, and though incapable of envy or jealousy, he was touched with anxiety when he found everything yield to the French arms while such vigorous resistance was made to his own. He soon dismissed the Dutch ambassadors, lest they should cabal among his subjects, who bore them great favor. But he sent over Buckingham and Arlington, and soon after Lord Halifax, to negotiate anew with the French king, in the present prosperous situation of that monarch's affairs. These ministers passed through Holland, and as they were supposed to bring peace to the distressed republic, they were everywhere received with the loudest acclamations. God bless the King of England! God bless the Prince of Orange! Confusion to the States! This was everywhere the cry of the populace. The ambassadors had several conferences with the States and the Prince of Orange, but made no reasonable advances toward an accommodation. They went to Utrecht, where they renewed the league with Louis, and agreed that neither of the kings should make peace with Holland but by common consent. They next gave in their pretensions, of which the following are the principal articles. That the Dutch should give up the honor of the flag, without the least reserve or limitation, nor should whole fleets, even on the coast of Holland, refuse to strike or lower their topsails to the smallest ship carrying the British flag, that all persons guilty of treason against the king, or of writing seditious libels, should, on complaint, be banished for ever the dominions of the states, that the Dutch should pay the king a million sterling towards the charges of the war, together with ten thousand pounds a year, for permission to fish on the British seas that they should share the Indian trade with the English, that the Prince of Orange and his descendants should enjoy the sovereignty of the United Provinces, at least that they should be invested with the dignities of Stadtholder, Admiral, and General, in as ample a manner as had ever been enjoyed by any of his ancestors, and that the Isle of Walcheren, the city and castle of Sluys, together with the Isles of Cadsant, Goree, and Vorn, should be put into the king's hands, as a security for the performance of articles. The terms proposed by Lewis bereaved the Republic of all security against any invasion by land from France. Those demanded by Charles exposed them equally to an invasion by sea from England, 
and when both were united they appeared absolutely intolerable and reduced the hollanders who saw no means of defence to the utmost despair what extremely augmented their distress were the violent factions with which they continued to be everywhere agitated de witt too pertinacious in defence of his own system of liberty while the very being of the commonwealth was threatened still persevered in opposing the repeal of the perpetual edict now become the object of horror to the dutch populace their rage at last broke all bounds and bore everything before it they rose in an insurrection at dort and by force constrained their burgomasters to sign the repeal so much demanded this proved a signal of a general revolt throughout all the provinces at amsterdam the hague middelburg rotterdam the people flew to arms and trampling underfoot the authority of their magistrates obliged them to submit to the prince of orange they expelled from their office such as displeased them they required the prince to appoint others in their place and agreeably to the proceedings of the populace in all ages provided they might wreak their vengeance on their superiors they expressed great indifference for the protection of their civil liberties the superior talents and virtues of de witt made him on this occasion the chief object of envy and exposed him to the utmost rage of popular prejudice four assassins actuated by no other motive than mistaken zeal had assaulted him in the streets and after giving him many wounds had left him for dead one of them was punished the others were never questioned for the crime his brother cornelius who had behaved with prudence and courage on board the fleet was obliged by sickness to come ashore and he was now confined to his house at dort some assassins broke in upon him and it was with the utmost difficulty that his family and servants could repel their violence at amsterdam the house of the brave de Ruyter, the sole resource of the distressed commonwealth was surrounded by the enraged populace and his wife and children were for some time exposed to the most imminent danger one tetchler a barber a man noted for infamy accused cornelius de witt of endeavouring by bribes to engage him in the design of poisoning the prince of orange the accusation though attended with the most improbable and even absurd circumstances was greedily received by the credulous multitude and cornelius was cited before a court of judicature the judges either blinded by the same prejudices or not daring to oppose the popular torrent condemned him to suffer the question this man who had bravely served his country in war and who had been invested with the highest dignities was delivered into the hands of the executioner and torn in pieces by the most inhuman torments amidst the severe agonies which he endured he still made protestation of his innocence and frequently repeated an ode of horace which contained sentiments suited to his deplorable condition justum et tenacem prosposity virum the judges however condemned him to lose his offices and to be banished the commonwealth the pensionary who had not been terrified from performing the part of a kind brother and faithful friend during this prosecution resolved not to desert him on account of the unmerited infamy which was endeavoured to be thrown upon him 
he came to his brother's prison determined to accompany him to the place of his exile the signal was given to the populace they rose in arms they broke open the doors of the prison they pulled out the two brothers and a thousand hands vied who should first be imbrued in their blood even their death did not satiate the brutal rage of the crowd they exercised on the dead bodies of those virtuous citizens indignities too shocking to be recited until tired with their own fury they permitted not the friends of the deceased to approach or to bestow on them the honors of a funeral silent and unattended the massacre of the de witts put an end for the time to the remains of their party and all men from fear inclination or prudence concurred in expressing the most implicit obedience to the prince of orange the republic though half subdued by foreign force and as yet dismayed by its misfortunes was now firmly united under one leader and began to collect the remains of its pristine vigor william worthy of that heroic family from which he sprang adopted sentiments becoming the head of a brave and free people he bent all his efforts against the public enemy he sought not against his country any advantages which might be dangerous to civil liberty those intolerable conditions demanded by their insolent enemies he exhorted the states to reject with scorn and by his advice they put an end to negotiations which served only to break the courage of their fellow-citizens and delay the assistance of their allies he showed them that the numbers and riches of the people aided by the advantages of situation would still be sufficient if they abandoned not themselves to despair to resist at least retard the progress of their enemies and preserve the remaining provinces till the other nations of europe sensible of the common danger could come to their relief he represented that as envy at their opulence and liberty had produced this mighty combination against them they would in vain expect by concessions to satisfy foes whose pretensions were as little bounded by moderation as by justice he exhorted them to remember the generous valor of their ancestors who yet in the infancy of the state preferred liberty to every human consideration and rousing their spirits to an obstinate defence repelled all the power riches and military discipline of spain and he professed himself willing to tread in the steps of his illustrious predecessors and hoped that as they had honoured him with the same affection which their ancestors paid to the former princes of orange they would second his efforts with the same constancy and manly fortitude the spirit of the young prince infused itself into his hearers those who lately entertained thoughts of yielding their necks to subjection were now bravely determined to resist the haughty victor and to defend those last remains of their native soil of which neither the eruptions of lewis nor the inundation of waters had as yet bereaved them should even the ground fail them on which they might combat they were still resolved not to yield the generous strife but flying to their settlements in the indies erect a new empire in those remote regions and preserve alive even in the climates of slavery that liberty of which europe was become unworthy already they concerted measures for executing this extraordinary resolution 
and found that the vessels contained in their harbors could transport above two hundred thousand inhabitants to the east indies the combined princes finding at last some appearance of opposition bent all their efforts to seduce the prince of orange on whose valor and conduct the fate of the commonwealth entirely depended the sovereignty of the province of holland was offered him and the protection of england and france to ensure him as well against the invasion of foreign enemies as the insurrection of his subjects all proposals were generously rejected and the prince declared his resolution to retire into germany and to pass his life in hunting on his lands there rather than abandon the liberty of his country or betray the trust reposed in him when buckingham urged the inevitable destruction which hung over the united provinces and asked him whether he did not see that the commonwealth was ruined there is one certain means replied the prince by which i can be sure never to see my country's ruin i will die in the last ditch the people in holland had been much incited to espouse the prince's party by the hopes that the king of england pleased with his nephew's elevation would abandon those dangerous engagements into which he had entered and would afford his protection to the distressed republic but all these hopes were soon found to be fallacious charles still persisted in his alliance with france and the combined fleets approached the coast of holland with an english army on board commanded by count Schomberg. it is pretended that an unusual tide carried them off the coast and that providence thus interposed in an extraordinary manner to save the republic from the imminent danger to which it was exposed very tempestuous weather it is certain prevailed all the rest of the season and the combined fleets either were blown to a distance or durst not approach a coast which might prove fatal to them lewis finding that his enemies gathered courage behind their inundations and that no further success was likely for the present to attend his arms had retired to versailles the other nations of europe regarded the subjection of holland as the forerunner of their own slavery and retained no hopes of defending themselves should such a mighty accession be made to the already exorbitant power of france the emperor though he lay at a distance and was naturally slow in his undertakings began to put himself in motion brandenburg showed a disposition to support the states spain had sent some forces to their assistance and by the present efforts of the prince of orange and the prospect of relief from their allies a different face of affairs began already to appear groningen was the first place that stopped the progress of the enemy the bishop of munster was repulsed from before that town and obliged to raise the siege with loss and dishonor narden was attempted by the prince of orange but mariscal luxembourg breaking in upon his entrenchments with a sudden eruption obliged him to abandon the enterprise there was no ally on whom the dutch more relied for assistance than the parliament of england which the king's necessities at last obliged him to assemble the eyes of all men both abroad and at home were fixed on this session which met after prorogations continued for near two years it was evident how much the king dreaded the assembling of his parliament and the discontents universally excited by the bold measures entered into both in foreign and domestic administration had given but too just foundation for his apprehensions 
The king, however, in his speech, addressed them with all the appearance of cordiality and confidence. He said that he would have assembled them sooner, had he not been desirous to allow them leisure for attending their private affairs, as well as to give his people respite from taxes and impositions, that since their last meeting he had been forced into a war, not only just, but necessary, necessary both for the honor and interest of the nation, that in order to have peace at home, while he had war abroad, he had issued his declaration of indulgence to dissenters, and had found many good effects to result from that measure, that he heard of some exceptions which had been taken to this exercise of power, but he would tell them plainly that he was resolved to stick to his declaration, and would be much offended at any contradiction, and that though a rumor had been spread, as if the new levied army had been intended to control law and property, he regarded that jealousy as so frivolous, that he was resolved to augment his forces next spring, and did not doubt but they would consider the necessity of them in their supplies. The rest of the business he left to the Chancellor. The Chancellor enlarged on the same topics, and added many extraordinary positions of his own. He told them that the Hollanders were the common enemies of all monarchies, especially that of England, their only competitor for commerce and naval power, and the sole obstacle to their views of attaining a universal empire as extensive as that of ancient Rome, that even during their present distress and danger they were so intoxicated with these ambitious projects as to slight all treaty, nay, to refuse all cessation of hostilities, that the king, in entering on this war, did no more than prosecute those maxims which had engaged the Parliament to advise and approve of the last, and he might therefore safely say that it was their war, that the states being the eternal enemies of England, both by interest and inclination, the Parliament had wisely judged it necessary to extirpate them, and had laid it down as an eternal maxim that delenda es Carthago, this hostile government by all means is to be subverted, and that though the Dutch pretended to have assurances that the Parliament would furnish no supplies to the King, he was confident that this hope, in which they extremely trusted, would soon fail them. Before the Commons entered upon business, there lay before them an affair which discovered, beyond a possibility of doubt, the arbitrary projects of the King, and the measures taken upon it proved that the house was not at present in a disposition to submit to them it had been the constant undisputed practice ever since the parliament of sixteen o four for the house in case of any vacancy to issue out writs for new elections and the chancellor who before that time had had some precedents in his favor had ever afterwards abstained from all exercise of that authority this indeed was one of the first steps which the commons had taken in establishing and guarding their privileges and nothing could be more requisite than this precaution in order to prevent the clandestine issuing of writs and to ensure a fair and free election no one but so desperate a minister as shaftesbury who had entered into a regular plan for reducing the people to subjection could have entertained thoughts of breaking in upon a practice so reasonable and so well established, 
or could have hoped to succeed in so bold an enterprise several members had taken their seats upon irregular writs issued by the chancellor but the house was no sooner assembled and the speaker placed in the chair than a motion was made against them and the members themselves had the modesty to withdraw their election was declared null and new writs in the usual form were issued by the speaker the next step taken by the commons had the appearance of some more complacence but in reality proceeded from the same spirit of liberty and independence they entered a resolution that in order to supply his majesty's extraordinary occasions for that was the expression employed they would grant eighteen months assessment at the rate of seventy thousand pounds a month amounting in the whole to one million two hundred and sixty thousand pounds though unwilling to come to a violent breach with the king they would not express the least approbation of the war and they gave him the prospect of this supply only that they might have permission to proceed peaceably in the redress of other grievances of which they had such reason to complain end of section fourteen chapter sixty five part five recording by jim dennison j i m d e n i s o n voice dot com